Welcome to the Books We Love, the podcast of the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking about Paris Hilton's memoir. I think it's just called Paris the Memoir. Woo-hoo. Which we have all read and we're here with Elizabeth, Hello. a returning guest. You will have known her from Daisy Jones, is that it? Mm-hmm. And the sequels. And the sequels. Yes. I was like, there had to be more than that. There was more. And we had to bring her in for this one because there was a day, so Elizabeth and I work in the same office, and I came in one day not so long ago and was like, will you please read this Paris Hilton memoir because I just read it and I need someone to talk about it with. And Elizabeth was like, shut your face because I just read this. <laughs> it, my eyes lit up and I said, oh, no way. Shut your face. So I immediately <laughs> started hooking up microphones, putting headphones on us. But then we we're like, oh, wait, we have to have Amanda read it. And then she took forever, but she did. <laughs> I did. It Which took means forever. you're our new expert because it's been longer since we've read it. Oh, yeah, it was so, so long ago that I actually you. finished it at like 12:30 this morning. So it's fresh. It's perfect. Okay, good. That'll Literally, balance us I out. I had to. My husband went to sleep, and I said, "I have to read. I have four more pages left. Like, you go to sleep. I'm going to keep reading this. I have to get done." Uh huh. I fell asleep when I was reading it, and I literally, you know, when you wake up and you scare yourself. I woke up and I took the book and I slapped it down on my legs, and I didn't know my cat was there, so I slapped the cat with the book, and then he just looked at me so disappointed, and I shouted, "Paris, held on. Paris would not. She wouldn't approve of she that. She this. hates that. Actually, I don't, I don't know, know why she, that was my response. She's Cares more of a about dog cats. person. She's a dog person. Yeah. yeah, she's more of a dog person. I'm sure she's equal opportunities oh, yes. for Loves all, all, animals. all animals. Right. So we're going to talk about some of the cultural context around this memoir. We are all different ages here ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. So we come to our Paris Hilton culture uh, all from different angles. We all had different experiences. So maybe let's start with what she has meant to us over our lives. So we'll go youngest first Ooh. with fresh faced little Elizabeth. Okay. What has Paris Hilton meant to me? That feels like this is the intro to my college essays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just remember growing up in Paris Hilton was like part of the, like I remember her being in the tabloids all the time with like the Lindsay Lohan of it all. Uh-huh. And I very much remember her as like the party girl and the body image. I can't think of the word I'm looking like example for. Example we all wanted. Yes, yeah. of like it. Her picture always being next to like Jessica Simpson, and it was like, well, Jessica Simpson was like the largest a human could ever be, mm. and Paris Hilton was like what you were supposed to look like, like an Us Weekly. Yes, yes. and like her in mm-hmm. yeah her bikinis, and it just being like that's what we're striving for, but also we hate her. Yes. It's like we want to look like her, but we don't like her. And the image that comes to my mind when I think of Paris Hilton is her standing like with her arms out and she's wearing that tank top that says stop being poor. Yeah. And to me, that is, <laughs> that's Paris Hilton. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So you, when you were growing up, she was sort of like a, uh, what the news media was telling you was sort of like a perfect body image, but she also had that sort of problematic. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. very much kind of like what the Kardashians are now of like, we love them, we worship them, but we hate them and we hate everything that they stand for. Mm. But also you can't go anywhere or watch anything or exist in the world without just being plastered with pictures of them everywhere. Got it. So that's, she was one of those, like, I didn't realize that, like, I never watched The Simple Life. I never, you know, 
Oh, the one thing I do remember is she had that TV show when her and Nicole Richie stopped being friends. Okay. And she had that TV show called like Paris Hilton Needs a New Best Friend. Oh, I never and, knew that. Oh my gosh. It, I think it had two seasons. Uh-huh. And I just remember me and my mom being like kind of obsessed with it. Yeah. Were they actually upset with each other? Or was that like some Hollywood shtick? That is a great question. She doesn't address it in the memoir no. at all. No. Because I remember that learning the word frenemies around this time and I feel like it came from them yes okay well because she did talk about that like with Lindsay Lohan Mm -hmm. too where it was like I don't know her and Lindsay Lohan had a beef but then she was like I love Paris she's my friend that was a big thing in that culture too so I'm a little older than Elizabeth so you would have been so we don't have to say exactly when we were born but you were like a Gen Z millennial I'm yeah right on the cusp you're on the cusp yes I'm squarely in millennial a little bit of an elder millennial uh, and then I'm Amanda's at the tail end of Gen, Gen X. X. Okay. So for me, uh, Paris Hilton was like an older sibling. She actually is the same age as my older sister, but it was like one of those older siblings who is old enough that you're not hanging out with them. You just sort of like, you observe them as this sort of confusing example of what a teenager is when you're still a kid. Yes. One of those like, oh, they're so wise and old and they know. But also a little scary, like a little like intimidating. Oh, okay. You know, so Paris Hilton was like that. She was like a popular girl. I never liked her, but I did. I I think I watched The Simple Life one time and I thought she was so funny and it was so surprising to me. I was like, oh, she's actually like. That was actually like a funny thing to say. Like she and I might have like a similar sense of humor. Now, did you know that the simple life was like when you watched it and you said, "Oh, she's really funny." Did you was it like a you were in on the joke of her making the joke? Because the way I understood it was that she was playing dumb, and so it was more laughing at her than with her. I'll tell and that you, might be too deep of a question. No, to- <laughs> no, that's a great question. I'll tell you, it was a confusing time where I don't think we really understood the difference between like reality and reality TV. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that someone could play like a part like that. And then I didn't think about her again until I read this book. Essentially, because yes. I was like, oh, that was that was funny. She's nothing like me. I'm a different kind of girl. Because that was a thing, too, in the media during that time. There were dumb girls, and they were the smart girls, and there weren't really... There was no in-between. There was no... You had to be one or the other. Yeah. Do you remember that pink music video for stupid girls? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did she talk about that in the book? Yes, she does. Okay. I was like, why is that coming up? Yeah, that's... It was like literally that whole argument, like right there. Mm -hmm. Pink was like, well, I'm not like those girls i'm cool and yeah i'm not like other girls yes (laughs) yeah so what was your relationship with this i um was telling olivia before we started recording when we were setting up so i graduated from my undergrad in 2003 and i moved to a farm in new england and i didn't have um we had a tv and a, a vcr in my house and no cable. And this is when, so 2003, Google was around, but um, Facebook wasn't around and anything that came after. So I very much so was, was very ignorant of what was happening in pop culture at the time. Like there's five years through the 2000s that I missed a bunch of pop culture. Like people make references and I have to Google it because I don't know what that means or 
you know, if it was a, a movie that wasn't at our small movie theater in the town or, you know, the bigger one in the next city over. And if I didn't see it, I just didn't see it. And so there's a bunch of stuff I missed from that time period. And um, I felt like Austin Powers when I left, you know, when he's watching he all the frozen. pop culture stuff and like he keeps watching all the movies and trying to catch up. Um, so I had no relationship with her. Like I would see us weekly at the grocery store or people or whatever is on the end of the checkout line. And like I knew her name and I knew her face enough to be like, I can tell a difference between her and um, Lindsay Lohan, but I knew nothing about her until I read this book. Yeah. So it's magical. Yeah. And so when Olivia said you wanted to do this book, I was like, oh, I don't know. I said, she goes, well, we can do it without you. And I'm like, I tell you what, I will, I'll read it and I'll just sit in, but I might be very quiet because I don't know that this is going to give me much to talk about. And I actually was surprised how much I found to be very interesting in this yeah. story. So, and we can talk more about that, but yeah, I had no kind of understanding. No of preconceived notion. That's no, got to be refreshing. Cause I think, I mean, I know I was even unknowingly coming in with a lot of me too bias against her. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was coming oh, in totally open-minded. I was bringing that just from the grocery store. Yeah. I've seen those sorts of girls, um, I was very much a tomboy growing up and I really did not appreciate the, and I could not have said these words when I was this age, but as an adult, I think what bothered me was the sexualization of girls and the way that they had to be so made up and so petite. And I was always built like a truck driver or a logger. I have the body of like a strong logger person. <laughs> so I was always looking at this like, I, yeah, so I'm sure, I'm sure I was judging her. Mm-hmm. So there is this great, a series of articles on Vox that I just kind of sort of skimmed through before we came here today. And um, it's a series by a writer called Constance Grady. And the article that I found is The Bubblegum Misogyny of 2000s Pop Culture. Mm -hmm. And that was a fascinating article that I would highly, highly recommend. She also does one specifically on the release of the Paris Hilton sex tape how the media covered that particular thing. And she writes about that in the book too. One of the quotes I pulled from that article was, you don't have to think that Paris Hilton is a good or admirable or even an okay person to find the circumstances of her sex tape troublesome. You don't even need to think about how its release affected Paris Hilton to find them troublesome. You only need to think about how it affected an era of American pop culture and all of us who consumed it, which I thought kind of summed up my feelings about the book <laughs> when Manda was texting me about reading it and she was like, you know, I, I would love to sit in on the podcast, but you know, maybe just as like a, as a voice of someone who isn't really a huge Paris Hilton fan. And I was like, mm. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, I wouldn't call myself a huge Paris Hilton fan. Let's not get carried away. I liked this book. I, I mean, I'm, I find that level of wealth to be sort of... Yes, there's just an ick around. Yeah. And the way she talks about money in this book yeah. also made me feel very icky. Yeah. Because she talks very openly about, which I mean, I guess it makes sense. If you grow up wealthy, like your perspective of it is just different. But it was like, she had no problem admitting that she was like after massive amounts of money. Yeah. And that she like very much finds a lot of her self-worth in how much money she right. has or is able to make. 
Yeah. When she gets pulled over for that DUI, she talks about driving a $500,000 car. I literally, my husband was falling asleep this morning because it was after midnight and I poked him. I'm like, what car costs $500,000? Because his family, they're all very big car people. So he starts listing all these cars. And I'm like, Steve will do that Really? When we're driving, he'll be like, that car is $300,000 car. And I'm like, it looks like every other car. Further proof that my Scott and your Steve would be besties. We need to make this happen. I love that. But- so that's where I'm coming from is that uh, this sort of quote, I think sums it up really well that I I'm, I'm not about like us holding up Paris Hilton as this like example of like who we should be or who we want our culture to move mm-hmm. toward. What I find really interesting and maybe something we can talk about is the way that people nowadays are sort of revisiting our idea of these female icons of that time and how the media just loved to dunk on them. And it was like vitriol. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really did think that way. I remember, so a friend of mine who she tried to read the book and she couldn't get into it. And she was like, what is it that you liked about this so much? And uh, we're different generationally. And I was like, well, the thing that I found really surprising is how it humanized her in a way when I was growing up she was she was just a caricature mm-hmm. I was thinking about Jessica Simpson too who I felt like just disgust for when I was growing up <laughs> I thought she was just like completely a different girl than me and I was she was a dumb one and I was a smart one and she was just like embarrassingly dumb and um, she covered a Patty Griffin song um let him fly and I love Patty Griffin and I saw Patty Mm -hmm. Griffin she I just idolized Patty Griffin as a songwriter and at the time especially I was like but Patty Griffin and I are the smart girls why is this like dumb girl singing this song that we like how is it possible that she understands the same feelings because it's a song about the end of a relationship Mm -hmm. and her relationship had ended so she sang it from this very authentic place and I was like how does she get it like how can we have anything in thing. Mm -hmm. yeah what are you doing yeah like how Mm -hmm. can she see the like virtue or the merit in this song and how can she understand what heartbreak is like and it was like this moment of Maybe I've been fed a lie about who she actually is, and maybe mm-hmm. we can be more alike than than I've been told. Yeah. Well, and I do think it's it it is something about this book did take Paris Hilton because beyond like yeah, probably making fun of her in my youth and like knowing her as like this like two dimensional. Yeah. Like I said, I just see that picture of her wearing the shirt that says "Stop being poor," and it's like that's where my image of Paris Hilton begins and ends, and just taking that basically picture and turning it into a three-dimensional human Mm -hmm. and it being like oh wow she like had a life and she had thoughts like behind why she was going to clubs and she had reasons behind doing things and there was like motivations and emotions behind all of that was a weirdly yeah it's just one of those moments where I was like I didn't even consider yes her person which sounds so terrible to say out loud but it was it was like jessica simpson like what they did to britney spears what they did to Lindsay lohan it's like it dehumanizes them to such a dramatic extent Mm -hmm. that when you then realize like oh wow no that's like a person who lives yes absolutely that's absolutely what i thought and i i so this uh, series of articles, like I said, is on Vox. I'll actually put links to them in the show notes because I think if you're interested in learning more about that sort of like pop culture um, 
phenomenon about sort of dismissing young women and how it really is sort of like a lot of women nowadays are being vindicated. Mm -hmm. They talk about Britney Spears, even Beyonce, um, Paris Hilton, Princess Diana too, which I really like that whole Mm -hmm. season of the crown that was sort of human, making her into a human person. I thought was... Mm -hmm. And Monica Lewinsky, too, who was a joke oh, when yes. I was growing up. I love giving them, especially like yeah, Monica Lewinsky and Paris Hilton and all them. It's interesting because I would have thought, weirdly, like I would I would have thought Beyonce kind of like above that level of yeah. mm-hmm. scrutiny. Like in my mind, who's talking about Beyonce like that? I think <laughs> we just revere her in this moment of like sort of lifting up women that we might not have taken totally seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and it was like an unserious time, mm-hmm. you know, people were wearing the low, low rise jeans, the butterfly clips in their hair, the crazy colors, all our laptops were all crazy. Colors. <laughs> all our flip phones were crazy colors. You know, it's like sort of like I dialed up sort of cartoonish time. But um, so, yeah, so that was my disclaimer about Paris Hilton is and all of these people. It's not really about them or trying to promote them as some sort of important figure, but looking at what the culture said about them when we were growing up mm-hmm. versus what it's sort of dealing with now, what it's saying. Yeah. about them I think now. the yeah. point of the book and the point of us talking about it isn't necessarily to yet place them on a pedestal or to make them heroes in any way. Mm-hmm. It's just to maybe take them out of like the demonic almost like yeah. light that they've been painted in and just kind of put them back in the middle where they belong. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Or yeah, they're, they're people. Not yeah. justifying any of the stuff that they did as far as like drugs or alcohol or driving drunk, but it's like thinking about all of that with a little bit more life experience and perspective than I had when I was in my twenties, you can understand why, some of these people, they're constantly hounded. And it's like, yes, I get that when you're famous and you want to be famous. And she acknowledges that in the book, you trade off on security, you trade off on um, privacy. But it's like, you understand why some of these people get into drugs and drinking so hard when you're constantly being scrutinized and you're constantly being negative, mm-hmm. negatively painted and you're 20 years old. Like coping mechanisms. I can yeah. see that that is very easily something you would slip into. Again, I'm not justifying, I'm not saying it's okay, but I guess I can understand better now that I'm older why people choose that. Right. I don't know that I could have handled this at 20. That yeah. constant, constant like barrage is the word that I kept thinking is just, the scrutiny that you're always being chased by the paparazzi and you're always, anytime you make any mistake, it's like, it's this huge thing and everybody's waiting for you to constantly fail. Yeah. Well, and there has to be kind of like an element of, oh, you think I'm bad now? Like watch, yeah, watch how bad I could be. Or like just kind of leaning into when people are saying you're Mm -hmm. dumb and you're slutty and you're stupid and Mm -hmm. you're nothing but a party girl. Like, well, why wouldn't you lean into that and be like, "Well, fine, if that's well, maybe, all, if that's all you <laughs> yeah. think. Exactly. If that's all you think, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Good for right. then, fine. Yeah. Like, let me do that times ten. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking of: the amount of slut shaming that happened at that time period. Versus, I'm not saying we as a culture have totally given up on that. We still do it, but not as badly. I remember in the early 2000s, that was like constant. I remember women were constantly being 
shamed for the stuff that if a guy did it, it's like, oh, oh yeah. what a stud. Like, oh, look at him with all these partners and all these girls and whatever. If you're going to have, it has to be, it has to be fair. Yeah. I feel like we've gotten a little bit better about that. Yeah. But yeah, that's something that kept coming up in my head as I was reading this too. Yeah. The Vox writer, she did a whole, uh, like I said, a whole article on the sex tape. And I promise I'll stop talking about these articles eventually, but I'll say two more things about them. <laughs> One is uh, she she breaks down some of the myths around that tape, uh, some of the cultural lessons that were being taught in the media. Like, mm-hmm. if you get abused in this way, it's your fault. Oh, um, yeah. You know, people yeah. who get abused are dumb. You know, the, these kind of, like, myths that yeah. the media was really swirling around. And then she also talks about, she thinks about why, why now we're sort of, like, revising our ideas of these women that were in the culture and um, like trying to vindicate them in some way. And I think one is because we were young then Mm -hmm. and we didn't, you know, we just kind of just accepted things. And now that Mm -hmm. we're older, we're like, Hey, wait, like, you know, we might have teenage daughters now. And it's like, what? So that, and then also she mentioned social media, which Mm -hmm. you post a story in you know 2001 and that's the story that's what everybody knows now there's so much feedback Mm -hmm. around you know news stories Mm -hmm. people sort of contextualize them like someone might comment i don't think that's fair you know she didn't you know and people kind of stand up yeah it's more of a two-way or more than two-way conversations as opposed to like us weekly having the final say if they post that paris hilton released her sex tape to get more publicity or to become more famous that's the story we got and there's no there's no arguing with it it's nice that social media i think she acknowledges this in the book i can't remember if it's her if it was an article i read but that one of the in my mind i'm like one of the few benefits and don't get me wrong i spend a ton of time on social media one of the benefits of social media is you control your narrative yeah if you choose to put it out there it's like you have some control over it and that's exactly what you're talking about elizabeth it's like us weekly people cnn whoever doesn't get the last word on it you can try and explain your side of the story if that's what you choose to do or you can whatever yeah so and people can kind of complicate stories a little bit and be like oh i don't think they thought of it this way or actually this part wasn't right yeah there are more voices joining in on the conversation which has its downsides but it also has a lot of benefits to giving voices to yeah people who didn't have one before she also in the article talks about podcasts, which I have been thinking about a lot in terms yeah, of Yeah, because she has one with her sister. Paris Hilton has a podcast. Yep, Paris Hilton has a podcast. Um, and in this article, they talk about the You're Wrong About podcast. Have you ever mm-hmm. listened to that? No. So it's a, a podcast Looking where there's two reporters. You'll love it, Amanda. They revisit stories and sort of complicate them. So they did like a whole series on Princess Diana they did a really good one on that McDonald's lawsuit when the woman got burned. Oh, oh yeah. So they do these deep dive um, journalistic reporting on the context surrounding these stories that we think we know. So it's sort of, and the Sarah Marshall is one of the writers and she says, for me, it was kind of a rite of passage to look at stories that I remembered adults reporting on when I was a child and then seeing how bad of a job they've done some of the time. We just abused women for sport in the media. And I feel like that's generationally something important to look at. Mm-hmm. What was in the media and, and the bloodstream when you were a child? How were the adults who were in charge of the culture then maybe not doing as good a job as you would like to try to do now? 
I thought that was really good. And podcasts, I just, I've been, I'm sure there's like a think piece about this out there, but um, how podcasts are perfect for women in marginalized groups to tell stories. Yes. Because you aren't going to be interrupted. You're kind of anonymous. It's comfortable. You can talk with your like people you're comfortable yeah. with mm-hmm. about things that like are kind of like hot takes about your experience that might not be what's in the like culture. Oh, I yeah. love that. I never thought about that. Yeah. Olivia, you're so smart. Oh, thanks. I did want to say this. I don't really know how this ties to it, but it feels like something important to say um, with like, I feel like we're in an era of like kind of reclaiming our girlhood. Mm. And like, I, I, you know, saw, I've seen Barbie now twice. I went to three Taylor Swift shows this summer and I've, so my TikTok, all my social media has just been basically those two things. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of very interesting conversations about how, you know, the very female space of like a Taylor Swift show and where dressing up in our cute little outfits and we're trading friendship bracelets and like mm-hmm. we're going there and and I've said like that's one of the best concert experiences I've had because it was just so safe and unifying and everyone I talked to it was immediately like we had 17 things to talk about it was just very mm-hmm. I yeah it felt like meeting girls on the playground and mm-hmm. same with the Barbie movie it's like all you know me and my friends we wore all of our pink outfits and we went to the premiere and I was you know the girls at the after the movie were like taking pictures by the poster and I was like let me take your picture for you and like we were like had this weird bond Mm -hmm. or not weird but we had this bond over like shared experience yeah, yeah this experience that we had just had and it is just this I don't know I just feel like that kind of ties into this too, where it's like things that the Mm -hmm. femininity and like the dumb girl stuff and that, that we used to have to pretend not to like, or it was vilified if you openly enjoyed it, like Paris Hilton and her sparkles. And she she was very femme yes, and, and continues to be. And I don't remember her. And maybe this is just me saying this, but like with the other women that we talked about, except maybe Lindsay Lohan, there was always like a man in the, like even there's Beyonce and Jay-Z and then there was Jessica Simpson and her, whatever her husband was. Nick, Nick Lachey. Oh, yeah. Nick Lachey. There was always like I even Brittany. knew what his first name was and I was out of the pop culture scene. <laughs> Good girl. That's how much that made its way down. <laughs> yeah. Like, Brittany down. and Justin was always like. Oh, yeah. So there was always like, but Paris Hilton didn't have a man. It was her, it was she. It was her and her puppy. It was, and Nicole. <gasps> oh, yeah. And it was her girlfriend. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like, even oh. though they had falling out or whatever it was it was always Paris Hilton and other women even mm-hmm. with the sex tape I don't know who no I don't no. know that guy no <laughs> I couldn't tell you his name what he's up to Mm-mm. nothing so yeah that's very interesting that yeah she I love that for her yeah it was always women around yeah and she and Nicole even you know even if they might have had whatever the show ran for a long time where they were like best friends. Mm-hmm. And they were, They're still friends, right? She acknowledged, said something about her in the acknowledgments. I assume that's who Nick was or Nicole, Nikki. Or is that her that, sister? Isn't her sister also named? Oh, yeah, her she sister. Listed too. Too. She yeah. listed too. That was another woman group. that she. So I was like, is I this? think her and Nicole Richie are like back on good terms, but I don't think they're besties. Okay. I think that they have drifted apart, but I think that's more about like being adults and less about 
like any drama that took place. But yeah, I don't really know why their friendship ended. She okay, so she does thank her sister. She calls her Nikki. And then lower it says my found family, Nicole, Jen, Allison, Holly, Cade, Britt, and Kim. I assume that was Nicole Richie and Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Oh yeah, Kim I'm Kardashian. Just guessing. I don't know. Brit maybe is Britney Spears. I don't know. Okay, so we should probably should talk about the book. I will maybe. do a um a, a disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah. But I want to do one again now that the book can is a lot of really dark, very traumatizing stuff in it about sexual assault, abuse. child abuse. Yeah. I mean, just about any kind of rough thing that you can think of. So Ugh. if that's not right for you, feel free to skip, skip, skip this one. So yeah, so let's talk about the book. So she starts the book writing about her ADHD mm-hmm. as a big part of her personality. That's when I was texting Olivia going, I don't think I'm going to make it through this book. I had that when she was like following her ADHD thoughts. Yeah. I, I did the same thing where I was like, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow this. Yeah. But I do think... She, it eventually, right. once That's, the rhythm was kind of yeah. put in place, and she, I think worked. she intentionally did that and had her editors keep that in the introduction. I feel like so people could see what her brain is really like. But then when you get past the first chapter or introduction, I don't know what she calls it, the story chapter that actually begins her life story that's where it started picking up steam. And then I was like, okay, if this is the style, I can I can read this. I just can't read it if it's, yeah, the ADHD. Yeah, because that ADHD felt too much like was, um, it was too much stream of consciousness. Brain. Yes. Almost. I felt like I was reading some Virginia Woolf something. I was like, what's happening? Wow. <laughs> she has that one book where it's but like, I do blah, think, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I do think that the... Um, yeah, please cut that. The, <laughs> I don't think you should. I think that was beautiful. I think it's the I'm one and Google only time Paris Hilton's been... Compared to Virginia, <laughs> it won't be the last. Time. No, it won't be. <laughs> no, you've put it out there, so now oh God, the people started will see a it. thing. She has so many rooms of her own, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't hate that part, and I I have someone real really close to me who sort of late in life, just like Paris Hilton, got diagnosed with ADHD, and it has been a real awakening for her. And so it was Same. a good little insight for Mine's me. Mine's one of my closest friends just got diagnosed in the last two weeks. I think it's happening more and more, particularly like for women in their 30s. Yeah. And 40s. Yeah. yeah. Same with autism because we're yes. just now understanding that the behavioral behaviors yeah, are maybe is, so yeah. much different than what we expect in boys. So boys yeah. can get diagnosed a little easier. Yes. But women, it shows differently. So, mm-hmm. yes. True. Yeah, totally. I listened to a podcast about that. That's the other thing. I feel like people are a little bit freer to be like, hey, you know, I feel different than you guys. Mm -hmm. Like the way you seem to all agree consciousness is, is not my experience. Which is interesting. Not that I'm saying this all goes hand in hand, but mental health uh, manifests in boys generally when they're teenagers and in women, it can manifest later when you're in your thirties. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Like illnesses? Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. interesting so it's like the brain you think you're fully formed right when you're like 21 you're like i can vote i can drink i'm ready and then <laughs> you turn 30 and your brain's like ha ha yeah yeah gotcha. so unrelated to that but going back to the adhd i thought it was interesting that she starts the book with that even though i was like whoa this is taxing i'm having a hard time because then it, i feel like it really explains her personality right mm. Like why she made the bad decisions why she misbehaved growing up which led her to that teen troubled teen situation which right yeah but the beginning did prepare me for that i, I did that. love one of my favorite things about her like storytelling is when she would be in the middle of telling like a very harrowing yep. intense yes. story and then she'd be like 
And this was the outfit I was wearing. Yes. And it was fantastic. And I still have it. And I wore it to my party last week. Yes. And that was very like, not only did it kind of provide like a little bit of light in very dark stories, but yes. it also felt like I was talking to like a friend or something like it. It very much kept it as like the Paris Hilton I would expect almost. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But in a way that like, I don't know, that sounds like a diss and I don't mean it as a diss. It's a very like positive thing, I think. It mm-hmm. Yeah. Kept it, it kind of. It sounded authentic, right? Yes. Like, yes. like what you would think would be her authentically speaking. Yeah. And it, and it showed like that those things are important mm-hmm. to her mm-hmm. in a way that I, I don't know, I really enjoyed. Well, and I feel like as readers, sometimes when you read a lot of biographies, which I know I do. There are some where you're like, there is no way, even though it says the the famous person wrote the book, it's like, unless they're total 180 from what they're actually like in real life, this doesn't sound like them at all. Yeah. And you're like, this had to be like a ghostwriter. So give that person credit or this had to be somebody else. You know what I'm saying? So yes, I think that that was good because it actually did seem like this was her story. She was authentically telling all this bad stuff that happened and you could tell her her frame of reference or her thought pattern being like, yes, I'm in this just absolute crap situation, but her saying like she found her magical world that she would dip into when she was in this awful situation. (laughs) And it might be that she's focusing on her outfits or she's thinking about her dog or, you know, whatever, Um, which I thought was an interesting coping mechanism. She created this world for herself when she was in an abusive situation. I thought it was such a responsible way to write a story like that because it Mm -hmm. was one of the darker stories I have ever read. Yeah. And it was a way to provide a I think she did a really good job up front before she delved into the story, which I think would be necessary in a book that looks Mm -hmm. so not, you know, upsetting. You know, the the marketing is very like Paris Hilton pink. Mm -hmm. And she says, she says, take care of yourself. This is going to be really dark. It's Mm -hmm. hard for me to even write it and remember it. You know, if you can't read this, it's fine. Yeah. And then to break it up with that light stuff provided this like emotional break. Like it was like it was grounding almost. Yeah. Like, and it also reminds you that abuse victims are people because I think there's this idea that when we when we know somebody has been the victim of abuse, that's all we see when we look at them. Yes. Yeah. And it's like yes this is a part of a very complex life where I also have fun and I also have good times. And we should say, so she talks about um, as a teenager being put into a school for troubled teens, quote unquote school. And it was gooned. I, that's what the, that expression means. Yeah. She was kidnapped. They call it gooning. Really? When these basically hired thugs show up at your house and kidnap you with your parents' permission in the middle of the night, terrifying experience and they take you on an airplane and then they take you and drop you off at this school with zero contact of your parents you think you've literally been kidnapped for part of the time you would yeah when she described it she was they had like there were two men that came into her bedroom put their hands on her mouth and all over like yeah we're touching her body and picking her up and dragging her away it's like i can't even imagine how terrifying that would be and then to see your parents peeking out of their bedroom and watching watching it happen yeah so anyway, not to interrupt, just I had I have to paint that picture because that is what sticks with me the most from the story. Yeah, that was the part I thought about the most was when she thought she was being kidnapped. She was mm-hmm. screaming for help for her parents and they were, she saw them just like watching from yep. their bedroom. And then whenever she would call them from, because it was one of those if you got quote unquote good behavior or, you know, if you followed the rules enough, you could get 
a supervised phone call. Phone call. Yeah. And if they, if you said anything about How wanting they- to leave or anything about the abuse you were enduring, first of all, they would brainwash the parents mm. into thinking that you were lying. Yeah. Because they would say, Oh, your teen is so troubled. They're going to say whatever they can to get out of it. Yep. Cause this is the first like honest day's work there or whatever. And yeah. And so the, like, I just can't imagine expressing that to your parent or your loved one. And then when she eventually gave up on her parents and was calling other people mm-hmm. and they had already gotten to those people to say like, no, like you have to leave her there yeah. and to try and say like, they're abusing me. They're doing all of these terrible things mm-hmm. and have the parent not believe you. Yeah. Or just say like, well, good luck. Like you got to stick they, it out for a couple of months. You were going to say this because mm-hmm. you don't, you want to come home and you, we love you, but you have to stay there and yeah. you have to improve or get better or yeah. come back a different person. It's like, ugh. and it is, it is coming back a different person. It's what yeah, we want you as the, yeah, yeah, it's like a brainwash moldable yeah. version of, yeah, of what we want our child to be. I don't know. So she was kidnapped and put in Provo Canyon school in Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we won't. We don't have to go into all of the different forms of abuse that mm-hmm. she endured while she was there. But they're basically physical abuse, sexual, sexual abuse, abuse emotional, emotional abuse, yeah, mental. Um, yeah, the kids were pitted against each other. It, I mean, she was just. It was. They were tortured. Yeah. It was like yeah. emotional, physical fight club with kids mm-hmm. and the adults encouraging it to happen. It was like so. And that, yeah, supporting it and, and setting the groundwork for yeah yeah. how did you think about the way that she wrote about her parents and their involvement um i mean she's writing about this like what 20 years later so she has more life experience and perspective but i think i would still harbor a lot of anger towards my parents i'm sorry i'd have decades of years of therapy and I'd still probably be super mad at my parents for putting me through that and then not believing you. And then, you know, she does acknowledge later in the book when she finally tells her mom about it and she comes back to talk to her again, her mom kind of shows her the information she found on the website, basically validating Paris's experience that uh, that still would not be enough for me. I'd, yeah. I would be like, you need to apologize to me. Yeah. Like, I can never least. get those. I can't get those years of my life back and I can't get that trauma removed. I mean, she still says she can't sleep at night because of the nightmare she has when she does go to sleep. I'm like, no, she was much, sorry. She was much nicer to her I parents think she was than I very, think I could be. Very graceful and very forgiving. Yeah. And, and that might be like a, you know, angle she kind of had to take. Yeah. For the book, maybe there's well, and deeper, some of it, more complicated feelings. Some of it I wonder because she talks a lot through the whole book about the Hilton family being yeah. very much public facade because you are a brand. Mm-hmm. You are the face of this hotel real estate empire. So did she just button it up for the book and she's secretly still super pissed at her parents? Who knows? Like we're getting, again, we're getting her take on the situation, whether or not people always tell the truth in their memoirs. Might have been like a compromised situation where in order to be able to publicly speak about yes. the abuse and to, cause which is something she's obviously very passionate about. And she's yes. like, I think she has kind of dismantled some of the institutions that mm-hmm. are running. And so kind of in order to do that, her parents and her publicist and that empire might've been like, that's great, but put the blame on the school. Don't, yeah. 
acknowledge yeah. the blame well, of the parents. She has her fixer, right? His name's Elliot. I can't remember what his last oh, name right, is. And yeah. it's like, her maybe PR this guy. is her fixer spin on it. Like, yes, you can write about it. It's going to help your book because you had a real traumatic experience that you've been able to overcome. You've still made your empire. You still, you're living your dream. You're making your fortune. You're now recovered enough to marry, get married and be happy. But this is how you're going to spin this tale. Well, and it makes you're going to forgive your family. It makes sense that she doesn't, she probably doesn't want the reader to come away thinking of parents as the enemy. Sure. Because the common enemy for everyone is the school. So if she had spent the whole book blaming her parents, that's less, that's a less actionable source of anger where if she focuses it all on the school and says like, cause I mean, and I'm not at all like apologizing on behalf of the parents, but the parents were also manipulated and lied to and fed Mm -hmm. for sure a story of saving their child and all of that. So like they were also victims in a very different way. So I think it, it makes sense for Paris to kind of be like, that's a problem for me and my parents to figure out. Let's all focus on the school because that's the enemy that we need to. Especially as she does her advocacy work Um, moving forward. She's spoken in front of Congress, Senate. I can't remember trying to get, um, bills passed to put more onus on the U.S. government to have better oversight yeah, of this for sure. "quote unquote" troubled teen industry. Um, I think that's that's like a really good way of thinking about it, Elizabeth. And you know what, Paris Hilton, if you're listening, first time <laughs> listener, first time caller. <laughs> Just kidding. But I'm not trying to take away from the fact that some people are able to do that and be more forgiving. I just know how I would be at that age. Oh, for sure. And I don't know that. Even 15 years later, I'd have the grace to be like, which is funny. It's funny that I said the word grace because I actually earmarked this quote, which sounded super Anne Lamotte. Are you guys Anne Lamotte fans? No. We talked about this the other day. Not yet. You will be after you. I will be. She's been hovering in the periphery. I'm not going to be able to find it now. Oh, she says, and kind of towards the end of the book, I actually marked it because I thought this sounded so Anne Lamotte, so like Brene Brown. She says... I'm just saying grace is available to all of us if we make it available to each other, which I thought was a really interesting after all the crap that's happened yes, to her. So I really like that. So sorry, total random. Connection. Yeah, oh, that's no, that's perfect. perfect. I think that's, so some of the ways she contextualizes it so that we don't, so that we can understand why she might be providing this forgiveness. I think she talks about how unmanageable she was as a teenager and her parents honestly did not know what to do with her and she was just oh my god the sneaking out getting into clubs when you're 15 years old I was like that's terrifying to me and she says her mom says I I didn't know what to do to protect you I couldn't keep you safe like I didn't know what to do and then um she talks she shows you what her parents would have seen in the brochure and what they would have seen when they visited like rolled doll or something yeah that like the school puts on this like front when the parents come oh so not to interrupt you i googled the troubled teen schools yeah and there's like they list all of these schools that people send their kids to and i was clicking on the websites you can 100 percent understand really why these people especially if you have money and these places are super expensive and they present themselves as being this really life-changing event for your kids. You can see why people send their kids to these places. If I'm not desperate. saying yeah, they don't that I don't understand where the parents are coming from, especially now as like being in my forties and, and working with kids as long as I have. It's like, I get that you want to protect them. Yeah. 
And it's so disturbing how well these places present themselves. And they're still around and they're still doing these things. Well, and, and okay, so I might be getting this, I'm going to kind of do like a brain surge moment where, because sounds like a cult did an episode on the troubled teen industry. Yeah. And the guy who started it, this is all like very loose information. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to come at you with a lot of like roundabout facts. That's okay. The guy who started the troubled teen industry is like a certified cult leader. Yeah. So he is a master of manipulation mind, mind and play, yeah. and figuring out what people want to hear to get what he wants out of them. And it yeah. the troubled teen industry started as basically a cult that then got shut down and mm-hmm. so he rebranded it and this is like that's what Paris said they keep doing is every yeah. time they get shut down and caught for something. They sell that they get sold or they rebrand and yes. change their names. Exactly. Yeah. But it's Absolutely. still same owners, same funding, same yeah. institution at its core, but the the font changes. Yeah. They get a new coat of paint and they say, Oh, we're a brand new yeah. situation. So it's we're a, not associated with that past. And it's like yeah. you are. Yep. You are. You're just gonna be Yeah, just you're like the them. same thing, but but yeah, that makes it a very hard enemy to take down Mm -hmm. um if you i don't have one specific article but i wanted to mention real quick if you want to read more about the troubled teen industry literally just google troubled teen industry you will see a list of these schools that i was talking about as well as a whole slew of articles um there's videos and you see paris hilton's featured in some of the um interviews and things from survivor stories it's disturbing yeah, really disturbing. It, it, that was something I really admire. There are a few things I really admire about her as a person. I know we did that whole disclaimer. It's not really about her as a person, mm-hmm. but there were things I came away with. I think um, she really appeals to my love of mischievous people. I love, that's the quality I think I like most is when someone's like a little naughty. <laughs> um, and I like that about her. <laughs> and then um, how she never apologizes. Yes. yes. I listened to her podcast with Jamila Jamil after reading the book. Uh, and I like Jamila Jamil, but she's very British. She's very self-deprecating. She like calls herself an idiot all the time. And it really, by contrast, showed how Paris never apologizes mm-hmm. for she. I mean, in the book, she says like I she cops to. I know I was a hot mess when I was, you know, unmanageable. Sure. I made all the, you know, she talks about the mistakes. I think we can made. all acknowledge that about our 20s. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Mass Express. The, yeah, that she made all these mistakes or whatever. She's very confident, and I like that mm-hmm. about her. And then I love that she's doing all of this work to try and take down, to change the laws. And she has yeah. successfully yes. worked to change laws in several It's very states. legally blonde of her. Yeah, And I, I love it. I love anything about a woman going into, like, a courtroom full of men in black suits and like a cute well-tailored suit with like her hair and makeup done Mm -hmm. her fashion pony will always like just fill me with such sparkle and joy me too what does she say her little run is that she does a unicorn trot yeah what she calls that i when she talked about going before congress senate i can't remember which i'm sorry I pictured her limo pulling up in front of wherever she was speaking and her unicorn trotting up the stairs in her very bougie <laughs> outfit. Yes. And God bless her for doing that work because she truly is trying to trying to break a cycle that is just disgusting and disturbing. And She doesn't have to do that. I she mean, does. she's a rich person. She could just yeah. be rich. And- so good on her for doing that because... You know, a lot of people, when you go through trauma, it's like you want to be done with it and forget that stuff and walk away from it. And I feel like every time she has to go and speak 
at these hearings, it's like you're revisiting your trauma. Oh, yeah. And so the bravery that that takes, that I did actually really respect her for that in the book. Well, and so. you're revisiting it in not necessarily a safe yeah. environment. It's not like you're talking to a therapist. It's not mm-hmm. like you're necessarily facing a room full of people who are no. going to accept what you're saying. Or care. It's people who are, in a lot of cases, there to find out if you're lying, yeah. figure out loopholes so that they can keep their money. Yeah. It's it's a lot of trying to prove mm-hmm. that your suffering was valid. valid. And that's, Which is such, so sad that you yeah. have to use that word. And you and I both said the exact same thing. It's like, ugh. Yeah. So that's like a whole other extra layer of bravery. It's brave enough to just face it and then mm. to face it again to rewrite or to write yeah. your memoir and then to do it to try and save other people and other kids is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I loved the most about it, well, in thinking about that bravery being, uh, continuing your relationship with the media too, which was so cruel to her for so many years. And I think sort of unfair, like one of my favorite parts of the book. And there were some pieces of writing that I thought were beautiful in the book. And my favorite thing was, when she was probably after the sex tape or after she got arrested or whatever, she, um, the paparazzi would be taking her picture over and over everywhere to kind of like further these kind of mean mm-hmm. stories about her. And she thought the sounds of the camera shutters were saying, gotcha, 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 gotcha. <gasps> yes. Oh, yeah. And then when she took a camera crew in when the Provo school was getting mm-hmm. shut down, the cameras were behind her and then she thought they were saying gotcha gotcha when they were taking pictures of the school so it mm-hmm. was like like she was using it for her it yeah. gave me chills when oh i, I read love it. that yeah because yeah. it was like she was using it to take down this horrible place i thought it was interesting that this i if i'm not mistaken this was like the biggest chunk of the book was this section if you or maybe it just reads that way to me this felt like the biggest meat of the book which i think helps understand Again, like same thing as the ADHD situation. I think this really helped me understand and humanize her. Mm-hmm. But everything with the school and kind of, I thought it was funny because she spent so much time talking about this. And then we move into the 2000s and she's like, oh, 2004 was such a good year for movies. And she like lists them. And then she's like the 2000s in a history of my phones. And she <laughs> talks about all the different phones. And it's like, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I forgot about Blackberries. Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah. Like again, my husband's trying to sleep last night. Well early this morning like, by the time I went to bed. and I asked him I like woke him up I'm like did you have a blackberry and he's like no and he like falls back asleep and I'm like oh, did you have either. a flip phone a razor <laughs> razor I definitely had a pink razor oh me too no, I, yeah, I only had whatever Verizon carried back then I mm-hmm. think they were just like the little flip phones mm-hmm. I remember using the walkie-talkie function you probably don't remember this do you remember the walkie-talkie no. I had the little Verizon flip phone and it had the walkie-talkie function where you could start the call, like start walkie-talkie with somebody, and it was free if it was anybody in your network. So my parents, when I lived in New England, would we'd walkie-talkie each other while I was driving because you weren't allowed to talk on your phone. So I would hold it in my lap, and I would just squeeze it and be like, um, I'm on I-90 outside of Buffalo. Over. And I'd let go because if you didn't say that, my mom would hold it down while you were trying to talk. And then she'd be like, wait, what? And you'd have to repeat the whole thing. Anyway, we're close on time, friends. Yeah, we are. I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think we did an excellent job I think so, too. I have some read-alikes. That's why I was over here tapping while you guys were talking. I was listening. I was just looking up some read-alikes using The Wonderful Novelist, which... 
You can access with your Troy card at home. It's under our resources link on our website. You just have to sign in with your Troy library card if you're not um, using one of our computers. So some read alike. Speaking of Jessica Simpson, I know she came up earlier. She also has a biography, memoir, whatever, um, open book by Jessica Simpson. If you want to read more about the Hilton family, there is a book called The Hiltons, The True Story of an American Dynasty. Oops. And I clicked on it by J. Randy Terraborelli. And I mean, if you like Hollywood memoirs, there's a slew, especially if you want to read about powerful women. Viola Davis came out with a really good one, like in the last, what, two years. Sally Field had a really good one that came out in the last few years. Um, gosh, there's so many. I loved Carly Simons too. And Carly she's a Simon. good one. Like I had to get, had to vindicate herself because yeah. she was always judged for who she was with during, yeah. the, during I think the... it's called boys in the trees. Yeah. That sounds right. familiar. Yeah. Another so, uh, confident unapologetic herself woman is Carrie Fisher. She's got, yeah, all she's a got a couple ton good of good memoirs. Ones. Yeah. And all just amazing. really fun, funny sense of humor. I miss yes. her being in the world and if you don't know what you want but you like biographies just come to the library and wander through the biography section because Mm -hmm. we've got a bajillion literal number a bajillion biographies here at tpl i've counted them myself it is exactly one bajillion Bajillion. we had elizabeth (laughs) do it on her first day here they're like elizabeth a little hazing they're like tilted their head and put their hands on their (laughs) hips and stared into her soul they're like we need you to count all the biographies don't forget the ones in children's yeah. And she came back and she's like, literally one bajillion. Mm-hmm. Not one okay. more or less. <laughs> okay. This is more fun than I thought it was going to be. Thank you so nice much. Nice work, yes. Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. And Olivia. For whoever, whoever's idea it was to get this book. Keep sliving. Keep sliving. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.